all, you can't really talk about the early second wave of the women's movement without talking about This is a WLRN extended interview. Nina Paley is an American filmmaker, artist, and cartoonist who just received a Lifetime Achievement Award from Animacom, a film festival in Spain. This is remarkable since she is also a feminist and is blacklisted in her hometown of Champaign-Urbana, Illinois, due to publicly questioning transgender politics. During this interview, you will hear Thistle talk with Nina about trans activism and how it has impacted Nina's life and her career as an artist, in addition to her ideas for what works best in response. First of all, how are you doing today? This is, what is it, July 6th after a full moon and shortly after July 4th here in the USA and the Midwest. How are you doing? I'm doing well. I've been biking like a maniac this summer. I've been biking more than I've ever biked before and just biked last night. And uh, yeah, I'm, you know, sweating a lot and have the whole bike thing to occupy my mind and pretty healthy and I'm good. Nice. Well, along with summertime biking, you're also going to be receiving a Lifetime Achievement Award this summer. In fact, this afternoon, can you talk about the organization that's giving you that award and the significance of it? Well, they're called Animacom, and they are an animation festival in Bilbao, Spain. I was supposed to fly to Spain this spring. (laughs) I think it was uh, end of March, early April. And um, it looked like it was going to be a really good time, but that all got canceled. And then they didn't know what they were going to do, whether they were going to do it next year. Uh, Spain, like other countries in Europe, has been managing COVID much better than the United States, so they are able to have a festival there. There are other attendees from elsewhere in Europe. Americans rightly cannot travel to Europe right now because we are filthy and plague-ridden and also have a completely idiotic government. So that's fine. Also, I wouldn't have flown there anyway because I live with my 79-year-old mother uh, and don't want to be quarantined or anything like that. So... um, Yeah, I learned that I was going to get the award uh, in the winter and have kept my mouth shut about it for months. But it was so amazing that in the midst of all these cancellations and deplatformings and denunciations and just like all this craziness and black, yeah, the black, in the midst of a blacklist, they were willing to give me this award. So that has, you know, warmed my, my bitter old heart in a huge way, um, regardless of the ceremony, regardless of actually, even actually receiving it. (laughs) I've just been so heartened that this, you know, one festival was willing to do that and just sort of ignore all this bullshit. And they're aware of it. You know, they were aware. I I talked to the... Have they gotten any flack for giving you the award? I don't know if they have, but if, if they have, they're just ignoring it, which is what people are supposed to do. That's what we all should have d- done from the very start. I agree with you 100%. It's just silly. Silence. Yeah. 
and destroying our, our art careers, our film careers, our music careers, where often we're focused on something besides trans politics. We're not even talking about trans politics in our work, and yet they attack our work. Uh, you know, to me, that really indicates the sexist nature of this kind of trans activism. Can you talk a little bit about what happened in Champaign-Urbana, where you live, and how trans activism has impacted your life there? Yeah. Uh, so a little over two years ago, I had a hysterectomy. I was recovering from my hysterectomy in this cafe. The Arcadia Cafe invited me to do a screening. And I was like, sure, you know, I'm just barely recovering, but in a month I'll be able to hobble over there and do it. And then, um, like, as soon as they announced the screening, people said, she's a transphobe. And if, you know, I'm never going to come to your cafe again if you show her movie. And the idiots at the cafe, it's like, do you know nothing about history? Do you know nothing about any, like, you idiots, just ignore it. Like, people do this all the time, you morons. And, of course, what they did was they caved. And they're, and it's like, and that was just like uh, uh, injecting these people with cocaine or something. You know, like, they're addicts, and they go crazy when, when people actually do what they say. And that just empowered the hell out of them. Uh, the cafe, of course, went out of business a few months later because, you know, go woke, go broke because they're idiots. It's like, this is a, you know, it's, it's indicative of just absolute business stupidity to um, capitulate to any bullies that come along. Going out of business, you think, is related to them canceling your film screening? No, I think they're going out of business is related to them being idiots. And they're canceling my film screening is related to them being idiots. In other words, it's like, it's like, if you're that dumb and cowardly that any bully that comes along, you actually change your programming for them. You are dumb. <laughs> you, know, like you don't know how to run a business. And then a year later, it happened with a local art theater where the um, executive director of the art theater, the same group of people, it's a small group of people and they're nuts uh, and they're very active and people in this town are not adults and are doing the exact opposite of what you're supposed to do with gangs of bullies. It's, uh, I mean, it's embarrassing and shameful and brings up a lot of my and experience. It has consequences for your career, right? Would you say that? Yeah, it has consequences for my career, but most, you know, I think I'm more upset. I don't, you know, my career, yes, that's important to me, but I'm more upset as a, a citizen in a society that is much more troubling to me than my personal career. But anyway, they went to the art theater when they learned that um, we were running the art theater to show my movie. And the executive director of the art theater banned me from the art theater. I'm the only filmmaker in the world to be banned from the art theater. Are you, you still know, banned from there? What? Are you still banned from there? Has the ban been lifted? They've gone out of business. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Because they're idiots. Anyway, well, yeah. Roman Polanski was not banned from the art theater. You know, like, they'll show rapists. <laughs> it's just like Nina Bailey, though. Whoa. She's really bad. So they did this, and uh, the board very stupidly supported this decision, which they shouldn't have done. And then half a year later, they declare bankruptcy, and they're out of business. So 
something was very rotten at the art theater as well. Uh, you know, the Wilmar Neighborhood Center that has banned me here in Madison is struggling financially, but it's because of COVID-19. I, I don't think it's at all related to them banning me. In my town, unfortunately, the, the Wilmar board went, was in favor of the banning and tons of neighbors and activists as well. I did have nine supporters though show up to their board meeting to protest the banning and they ignored all nine people that were there. They just ignored them. I mean, these were locals from Madison that have been in the community for years supporting the Wilmar Center. So, you know, the I've gone, I've, I've frequented businesses downtown and seen posters up appealing to the public to support the Wilmar during this time of the COVID-19 outbreak because a lot of their revenue comes from uh, putting on festivals and they're not, they can't do that this year. Uh, but I wonder if them struggling financially has something to do with them just being idiots and not, you know, responding appropriately, especially as a neighborhood center, you know, because this is not just a business that they're, uh, you know, defending. It's a place where people are supposed to come together in intentional community in our neighborhood to lift each other up. I mean, that's just what's so crazy about it. And yeah. maybe people have noticed and they don't want to support it anymore. I, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know either. I mean, your strategy has been a little different than mine. Um, like mine is when an organization acts like that, uh, I'm like, they're gone, right? Like they're just, they're dead to me. Uh, and yours has been to try to get them to change. And, you know, when I read that interview or, or that, that report of yours of, I don't remember what the guy's position was, but like, I recognized that kind of behavior. And I'm like, I stay so far away from people like that. Like that is like irredeemably, they're, they're even irredeemably corrupted. And I just have nothing to do with people like that once they show me what they're like. And how has that strategy been working for you in terms of your mental health and sense of safety in, in your town and also your career? Right. Well, uh, it's not like, <laughs> it's not like any, it fixes any of those things. It sure doesn't. I mean, there's still like a gang of, you know, really uh, vicious misogynist uh, idiots, really aggressive in this town, um, they don't bother me as much as everybody else. It's like, there's always going to be people with uh, severe personality disorders doing things like this. The problem for me isn't them. The problem is everybody enabling them. I am disgusted by their enablers. And this has brought up a lot of trauma from my junior high years because I'm now living in the town I grew up in and lived away from for 23 years, <laughs> but I moved back eight years ago. And uh, the same thing happened in junior high. There's like a few really vicious kids. But the problem was that the adults, the teachers, uh, indulged them instead of stopping them. And that's what, that's what gets me. It's like, yeah, there's these bullies. Um, the bully's going to bully. But then the, these businesses actually capitulate to them. That's horrific. Uh, Agreed, which is why my strategy has been to fight it 
and to believe that there's got to be somebody on the board of the Wil Wilmar Neighborhood Center who's watching all of this and thinking, this is not right. And hopefully that person can influence other board members and so on and so on until the organization realizes that banning members of the community from a neighborhood center is bad politics. It's a bad look for the neighborhood. But see, what I think is likelier is that um, that organization is just going to fail and that people will create a new organization like the saner people. Um, but anyway, I, you know, like my, I only, I moved back here eight years ago. Before that, I was living in New York City for 10 years. And um, like my, my career is, was global, right? Like I don't really, you know, it's like, it's, I, I would love it if I could, you know, live comfortably in my hometown <laughs> without these assholes. But uh, the career itself is much broader. So, um, yeah, the only place in the world I've been, like, forever banned from a theater is my stinking hometown. Um, right. But, uh, but, you know, like, you know, I'm invited to festivals elsewhere. <laughs> it's like the farther, the farther the festival gets from the Anglosphere, the better my films do because of this stupid issue, which is a very Anglo-centric uh, piece of stupidity. I finally got an award last year from a festival in Russia, the Moscow Jewish Film Festival. Um, and you got it, to go. To yeah, I got to go. I mean, I was, this year I was supposed to be traveling all year, uh, which, you know, the one consequence of this town being such a, in this respect, I was calling it a shithole. <laughs> just in terms of these bullies and then, and then this uh, enabling of them was I traveled a lot more because I don't really like traveling, but um, it was so unpleasant here with people like overhearing me and, you know, spying on me in public restaurants and then going to the secret Facebook group and talking about it, it was. That's harassment. Yeah. It was, yeah. It was really messed up. Oh, and just like the, the people that do it. Oh my God. The personality disorders, these, you know, like, you know, the glowing, you know, I am such a social justice warrior uh, characters that are behaving this way. Uh, ugh. Anyway, yeah, all that travel is canceled, but that is what I was doing. I move back to why is it that, of course, we have the personality disordered people that are the bullies, but why is it that the larger community supports the bullies and not the victims of the bullying. What is it about radical feminism and feminists that gets trans activists so mad that they target our livelihoods? And why does the larger community uh, not see these sexist attacks for what they are? Well, here, I think, well, first of all, Women, as you know, are raised to appease. And um, it seems like a lot of the people around here will do whatever it is fashionable to do to show that you're a good person, to virtue signal. Uh, one thing about this town is it is behind other places. Culturally smaller towns tend to be, tend to lag behind. What's What's informed my own experience and my own take on this is 
you know, living in San Francisco in my 20s and early 30s, like, you know, deep in the queer community, the sex positive community, uh, trans, you know, lots of trans people. So unlike most of the people here, I have a history with trans people and a lot of experience of trans people. Here, it's like a newer thing, and the older people um, who have raised, who are, who are personality, the older people who are personality disordered have raised a generation of narcissistic younger people who are really all up in this gender stuff, plus um, they're, you know, allowing their children to go on hormones, you know, their teenage, they're basically abusing their children, right? Um, and once you do that, you're never going to back down. I mean, can you imagine like what would happen if they woke up one day and, and were like, Oh, I've like, you know, either abused or assisted the medical abuse of my child who is much too young, you know, to have done this, but they're doing it. You know, it's popular here. Cause that's how you be like a good liberal here. Uh, I mean, that's one reason that they're so batshit. Like they can't, they can't back down. If they were to back down, imagine what they would be, you know, acknowledging and reckoning with cognitive dissonance. I mean, it would just destroy their perception of, of reality. And yeah, it would be, and it's like, what if it's, it's like they wouldn't be able to live with themselves, right? And because the, of what they've actually done of allowing your child to go under the scalpel, yeah, or if not under the scalpel, you know, take the hormone, it's like, you know, permanently, you know, compromise your child's health, right. Um, Mental health isn't that great either, but they think they're doing the right thing. They've been told they're doing the right thing. And, you know, doesn't matter how much evidence is in their face. Like, damn it, we've done the right thing, because if we don't think that, then boy, are we screwed. You are listening to WLRN. Anyway, so I've been, I've been, you know, aware of... (laughs) trans people much, much longer, you know, like adult, grown-up trans people, trans lovers, trans friends. Um, So uh, I don't feel like I have this thing to prove about trans people, you know, like I've known them. Do you believe in true trans? Do you think that there are some people who actually are born in the wrong body? No, no, nobody's... It's the opposite sex? No, nobody's born in the wrong body. You know, what's you to be trans what does that mean oh no it just means uh well in the case of my former lovers i realize now it it means they were autogynophiles you know like when i finally learned what autogynophilia is i was like oh oh no like like i don't want to think of them this way but oh man like i thought they were like super subversive and that we were like super subversive and (laughs) it's like no they had a fetish shit Um, but you know, in terms of the home, my homosexual trans friends, it's like, yeah, gender dysphoria, you know, like, I I don't think anyone's born in the wrong body. I do think that, uh, some people genuinely experience gender dysphoria and we live in a messed up world and whatever gets you through the night, you know, if it works, it works. Also the thing with autogynophilia is it's like, yeah, people have fetishes, men have fetishes, right? Like, you know, you have that fetish. Like one of my one of my autogynophile 
friends from my past. Like he knows, he knows that he's turned on by the idea of himself as a woman. And I'm like, fine. Like, that's fine. Dress up like a woman and turns you on fine. Uh, that's a, you know, huge difference between that and saying that you are a woman and that you're entitled to women's spaces and, uh, scholarships and <laughs> awards and, sports and things like that. But, um, I mean, I don't, it's like, I think differently about it now that I know it's a fetish because now when I'm, when I'm, when anyone is roped into it without their consent, that makes me angry. It's like, that's, that's abusive. But if people are consenting, fine. And, you know, a man can wear a dress and wear a wig and wear makeup uh, in public if, you know, I don't, it doesn't really matter what his reasons are. He's not a woman, but he can do that. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, it completely makes sense. And I'm glad you don't believe in the true trans, because I think in order for us to deconstruct this politics, we need to expose that basically anyone can identify as trans. You just have to have a a feeling about yourself that is different than your biological sex, you know, and that start behaving in ways where you're presenting as the opposite sex. That's what I understand the word trans to mean. It's not some some kind of inherent biological physical characteristic that you can't help it. You actually are born in the wrong body. And so you need to have these surgeries and go have the- No, no, yeah, right. We're on, we're on the same page there. I will say though that I do think, I, I am thinking about like actual transsexuals, uh, men who have, you know, had surgery and no longer have gonads. And I, I don't think they're women I think they're transsexuals. Like, I think transsexual is the thing. Like, if you've gone so far as to, um, you know, have your genitalia surgically removed and your gonads surgically removed, then uh, you are in, you are, I mean, yes, like, technically you're male, but you're, you're in a class that I think, I think it's okay to, to, like, acknowledge that transsexuals that are transsexual. That that is a class of a category of people who have gone through a, a process, uh, including surgeries and hormones, that they come on the other side of as a new category of person. And you're calling it transsexual, though they haven't actually changed their biological sex. Because right, they haven't changed their biological sex, but they, they can't detransition, you know? Like... Or maybe they can, like, socially, but it's like, you've done How can you detransition and become uh, functioning as a male? You can't really, right? I mean, it's... (laughs) Which which means that they've let, like, they're, they're, it's a different thing, right? Like, it's a, it's, I mean, uh, and, you know, like, they, they, they can, basically, if a, if a transsexual wants to uh, identify as a transsexual, it's like, yeah, that's a, that's a real thing, right? Like, I... Um, I don't think, you know, there's people born in the wrong body or anything like that, but if that's, that's like a very serious process somebody has gone through that changes them in a really profound way. Tiny minority of the population. We, what we're seeing now is hordes of teenage girls identifying as trans and then detransitioning, you know, as best. They can. The majority, I just read Abigail Schreier's book, the, the majority do not go for phalloplasty. And so 
you know, a lot of them do have their breasts removed, which is tragic, and shoot up with testosterone, which has long-term impacts on their mental health and their bodily health. Sure. Um, but they, they, these girls that are doing this in mass are detransitioning. <laughs> no, I know. Yeah, I, I know. It's and and that's a whole other thing. Like the whole thing with children, and particularly girls doing it, is a whole other. But, there, but there's permanent damage done to these children. I know. They do become a new class of people as well. Um, well, I'm not sure about that because because. Uh, yeah, you know what? I, this is something that actually I would like to know a lot more about. I and I keep saying that I want to know more about it, but I haven't even read up on like. Uh, and this isn't addressing the girls, but in terms of eunuchs, right? Like, like many societies have had eunuchs. Like Europeans had eunuchs, and um, I know nothing about the lifespan, like like how being a eunuch affected the health of the man. Mm -hmm. oh, like I don't know if his lifespan was shorter. Talking about men who are castrated, not men who take cross-sex hormones. Right. This would have been before any cross-sex hormones were available, right? Because so like, yeah, castrated men. So what, what were their lifespans like? Like what were the health, what sort yeah. of health problems did they have? That would be a good area of study for sure. Well, I, I just, I don't know. And um, I mean, if you, if you do that now, you, it's like, I've, my understanding is like, you need some kind of hormones in your system, but all these centuries, people didn't have exogenous hormones to treat people with. So what actually happened to these men? And <clears throat> I don't really know too much about what, well, I guess I, I mean, we, I know that as a woman, um, there is a lot of concern if your ovaries stop working, like if you're in early menopause, mm -hmm. uh, which I guess, you know, will, will happen to these young women if they, if they get, you know, they take enough testosterone so that their uh, reproductive systems atrophy and they have to get hysterectomies very young, then even if they detransition, they're not going to have the, the, you know, typical profile of hormones that you're, that you should have at that age. And I don't really know what the health, the long-term health impacts are. Well, I've, heard that some young women go into early menopause they know well, you will go into early menopause i mean you will i just don't know exactly what that means for this generation of well they become sterile i know that yeah that, that that's different than a health long long-term impacts both physical and on their mental health and lifespan does it right curtail their their lifespan right i mean i know puberty Puberty blockers, I know, can cause brittle bones, and I know that there's women in their 20s that are already talking about the brittle bones, so that's, you know, that's very serious. I just don't really know what the deal is if you're, you're not literally taking blockers and you're not taking exogenous hormones, but your endogenous hormones have been, uh, like, drastically compromised from, from this process. I don't know. Yeah. Well, there are doctors uh, that feminist doctors that are studying that, um, thankfully. So that that information and that research is is out there. 
Um, I want to take our conversation to, I, I looked at your blog before uh, we got on the interview today, and I really love the, the entry that you have called Why I Don't Use Preferred Pronouns. And you wrote this in 2019, so quite recently. Um, and you say the short answer is I use sex pronouns, not gender pronouns. And so what activists call misgendering is, in fact, correct sexing. And I love that wording because then you're, you're, you're couching it in a, in a positive light instead of um, a negative light, like the term misgendering as if it's some sort of offense that women especially are engaging in when they refuse to <laughs> submit to being coerced into um, calling somebody the opposite sex pronoun from what they actually are. So thank you so much for that wording. And I'm wondering if you can tell us some stories of how you've been called out for quote unquote misgendering and you know what, what that's entailed for you. Well, the, the bullies in town used that as an example of how transphobic I am. They just, you know, like, look, she wrote this incredibly transphobic article, which is the one about pronouns. It's like, I, I, no, all right, you think that's transphobic that I, you know, <laughs> speak English? Uh, well, they, uh, they say that it's bigoted, just like new terms during the gay liberation movement were... Uh, introduced like gay, lesbian, homosexual, heterosexual, that these were new terms coming onto the scene during the gay liberation movement. And there was a lot of resistance to those new terms. And in the same way, these turf feminists are resistant to these new terms coming out like cis and non-binary, trans, misgendering um, and it's because we're afraid like the people were afraid during the gay liberation movement and it's really a sign of our <sighs> tolerance and resist you know we're resisting this progress this change that's happening in society yeah they say that I mean certainly earlier in this process I considered all of these things and you know did this deep soul searching and uh, but now, you know, people say this stuff and I'm just like, you're in a cult. Like, there's just no, there's no point even talking to you. Like, you're never going to change your mind. You're going to always say this stuff about me. You're going to always, you know, believe that the only reason a woman could possibly not go along with this is because she's a Trump supporting Nazi. I mean, they, they believe this. And I've, worn myself out having conversations like really good faith conversations with people and it's just like talking to broken records talking to somebody in a cult it's really sad because i have you know there's people that i loved and cared about that are doing this but i've i've talked enough and it's just like it doesn't matter there's nothing that i can say that's going to make them change their mind about me and there's no they probably think the same thing about you. <laughs> yeah, fine. And and it's like there's no fact, there's no like piece of information they'll be presented with that's going to make any difference. And you know, there we go. And yeah, of course they think that about me. And and just like you know, we're in this world where everybody seems to be in a cult, or everybody appears to be in a cult. And then I'm like, you know, yeah. just consequence of social media or something of the internet. Sure, but we've also in the last five years coined a term on our side called peak trans. 
And so we are moving forward and reaching people that are not the bullies, but maybe people who are in the background on the fence a little bit, wanting to, doing the soul searching. And these people all of a sudden wake up one day and go, oh my God, peak trans. Trans people are, um, you know, this group that is believing in this ideology of being born in the wrong body. And why didn't I see this? Wait, wait, hang on a second. Okay, now here's where I have to sort some things out. Okay. Okay, you're talking about trans activists. You're not talking about trans people, right? There's like a huge difference, right? Because trans people includes transsexuals, many of whom know that they're, you know, still the sex they were born as, but they're more comfortable, you know, doing these like extreme body modifications. Uh, it, that ideology is an ideology of trans activists. There is some overlap, but given that I continue to have trans friends who I care about dearly, uh, who do not follow that ideology, I'm like, no, it's not trans people. And I, I compare this to conflating Zionists with Jews. Right. There's some overlap. But uh, as a Jew myself, who is not a Zionist, um, you have to separate these things out. And they they use the same things. Right. If you if you criticize Zionism, if you criticize the state of Israel or that project, then you're considered anti-Semitic, which is hating Jews. And it's like, no, these aren't the same things. Right. Like you can you can, you know, be a Jew or be, you know, a dear friend of Jews and criticize Zionism, not the same. So same thing with trans activism and actual trans people. Okay, well that is- Actual trans people, what I mean is people who, you know, are whatever, trans identified, uh, but you know, it is possible to be trans identified and still not partake of that ideology. Right, I mean, we've got lots of examples of that. Miranda Yardley is one, Jen Smith is another. And so thank you for making that distinction. And that was a really good analogy, too. Um, is there anything else you'd like to say to our WLRN listeners about your experiences? And, and also, um, what are your next steps? What, what is your strategy moving forward? Yeah, I'm just trying to get through this world, like, telling the truth, um, you know, refusing to lie when I'm told I must lie. Uh, I still am using a great deal of restraint. I realize that's hard for people to believe (laughs) because I've already said so much and gotten in so much trouble, but there's way more that I'm not saying. Um, And I mean, I do think, I I think we need to consider the internet and what the internet or social media is is doing to us. And um, I, I do think that the current madness wouldn't be so mad without the internet people i mean mob mobs seem to be an emergent behavior of upset people right you have people with strong feelings and uh it's important to air your grievances and communicate your you know express yourself and all that sort of stuff but things happen with social media where while people are in this highly agitated state this highly emotional state, and then they're hearing from others in this highly emotional state, mobs just sort of spring up out of that. And that is true on all sides and on all issues. Uh, we see that happening on Spinster sometimes. Spinster is spinster.xyz, a social media platform for women. I'm a moderator there. And since the gender critical subreddit was recently banned, 
from Reddit, uh, we've had this huge influx of refugees. Um, so Spencer is great. It's a, it's a lovely platform, lovely people. We still see this happening like all the time. It's almost like it's inevitably going to happen with social media. People get agitated. And then the next thing you know, there's a mob and, you know, the most awesome rad femme women can do it as well as, you know, the most heinous misogynist misogynists <laughs> will also do it. It's like anybody can do it with social media. Has, is linked more to the medium and the way that we're communicating with each other rather than the actual ideas being communicated. Yes, it's, it, it, po things polarize super fast. Uh, so we do need to think about that. And when I think about like the next steps for me or whatever, I almost posted something last night, but I now have a habit developed over many, many years where if I don't feel totally okay with it, it's like, I'm going to sleep on that. <laughs> You know, um, it's like, I, I, you know, there's, there's the hill I want to die on. And then there's some other hills I want to fight on, but not necessarily die on. And do I really want to fight on them? And let me just sleep on that and see if I really want to do that tomorrow. And I would like it if more people did that. Yes. Yeah. I think so too, because it would raise the level of civil discourse and dialogue if people thought about what they're putting out, putting out there on social media before they actually press you know, comment. I mean, people do, people do think about it. It's just your thoughts are different when you're highly charged in a highly emotional state versus when you're not. Right. And so the rule of thumb of sleeping on it is a good idea because then you go into a calmer state and can approach it the next day with, with a fresh perspective. Yeah. Uh, so, well, thank you so much, Nina Paley, for speaking with me. And um, I wish I could go on a bike ride with you this summer. Oh, yeah. Any good swimming holes in your area? Do you, is that ever a destination when you're biking? It used to be. I used to have a, a boyfriend that had a wonderful little swimming lake, but we broke up and it's not worth the, <laughs> it's not worth the stress. But yes, I fantasize about swimming and swimming. Well, how about, how about you? Do you have any? Yes. Oh, yeah. I like to go to Rock Lake in Lake Mills, and there's a bike path from Madison to Rock Lake. So, but it's it's quite the trek. It's you get good and hot and sweaty as you bike to Rock Lake. How many miles is it? Is this bike path? Like tw twenty miles. Oh, that sounds perfect. So it's a forty mile round trip. Yeah. Oh, that sounds so perfect. Oh. Well, welcome to come up. <laughs> Wisco and go on a bike ride with me and we can practice social distancing, wear our wonderful Nina Paley designed masks. <laughs> oh yeah, I should wear the mask. That's right. Here. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Actually. Reversible. The reversible mask. This is the one that I hand sewed actually. I stitched it with a needle and thread. Very nice. Yeah, I love those masks. Anyway, have a great summer. Everybody take care of yourself. Yep, you too. All right, great to talk right. to you. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye. <laughs> Thanks for listening to my interview with artist, feminist, and filmmaker Nina Paley. 
WLRN is proud to offer a platform to women who have been systematically silenced for expressing our opinions on sex and gender. If you'd like to support our work, please click on the donate button on our WordPress site and check out our merch tab for a nice gift in exchange. Thanks for tuning in. This is Thistle Pedersen signing off for now.